0: John chapter 18, we're going to start from verse 2. This is during the arrest, so they are coming now to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. In John chapter 18, verse 2, Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came There with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to him, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore again he asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way to fulfill the word which is spoken. Of those whom you have given me, I I lost none. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the father has given me, shall I not drink it? So this is referenced in all four Gospels, and all four Gospels share a little bit different about this. So we get different pieces from all four Gospels. Judas had made an arrangement with this band of people that is coming out to get Jesus, that he would greet Jesus with a kiss. And the other Gospels report that kiss. But before he ever got to do that, Jesus met them and said this, so it says in verse 2, Judas, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas had three purposes in the betrayal. The first purpose was to reveal to them where they could find Jesus, aside from the crowds, aside from the masses. And so he knew that Jesus' routine was to leave Jerusalem in the evening and go there and pray. And so this was his first task, to go ahead and do this. Also, what he had to do is he was to testify to Pilate on the arrest, about the arrest. He was to give false witness to Pilate and therefore bring with him this very Roman cohort. A Roman cohort is 400 to 600 soldiers. So this is no small group of people. This is 400 to 600 soldiers, along with the temple guard and the high priest of, uh, the, 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 uh, the slave of the high priest. So it's at least 400 to 600 Roman soldiers. It says they're coming out, and the Gospels describe the weapons, clubs and spears. So what soldiers carry, clubs and spears, and the temple guard are coming out to get Jesus. So this is, this is a lot of people. And remember, these are real soldiers. These aren't like you know, professors that you know, may come shuffling along. I mean, these are real soldiers who, who know how to fight, who know how to do things, and, and uh, they're coming out to get Jesus. It says, so it says in verse 3, Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. So there were officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. This is Sanhedrin officers, the high court officers. There's 70 people in the Sanhedrin, plus one, 71 this is the high priest, plus 70 other men, two-thirds of them Sadducees, one-third of them Pharisees. And they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him. So Jesus knew everything. They were not taking him by surprise. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. No, Jesus knew exactly that they were coming. And they come to him and he says to them, whom do you seek? No problem. And they answered, we're seeking Jesus, the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am he. These words, I am. The same words that God used when he told Moses, you tell them I am. And so Jesus can use this I am as a I am divinity, I am. And when he said that, it said all of them. He, when he said this, he, he, and he said to them, when he said to them, I am, they drew back and they fell to the ground. So you have four to six hundred Roman soldiers. You have the temple guards. So these are like the temple police who were sent there by the, the, the uh, uh, Sanhedrin, and they all they all just fall back onto the ground. Jesus is like, get up, get up. You're looking for me, here I am. And this shows you that Jesus is actually in total control. In total control. And then He says to you, then He says to them, I told you, I am He. So now He means it not in the divinity sense. He says, I'm the guy you're looking for. The other Gospels report that the Roman soldiers couldn't take him until they were given the sign from Judas. Judas had to kiss the one who was really it. They wanted to make sure they weren't going to arrest the wrong person. So Judas then comes up and he kisses Jesus, betrays him with a kiss, and Jesus says to him, so you're going to betray the, 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 the Son of Man by a kiss. And this is recorded in, in, in the other Gospels. <clears throat> but what's interesting here is then Peter takes out a sword And he takes out a sword in verse verse 10. He says, Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. There is no way you can selectively take a sword and just cut off somebody's ear. It's very hard. He was probably going to hit him. The guy moved out of the way and it just happened to hit his ear. And off the ear comes. And it says, cut off his right ear. Luke also reports that he cut off his right ear, but in Luke's Gospel, so here, none of the other three Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and John, don't report anything of the healing. Luke, who's a physician, reports the healing. The other disciples had seen so many healings that this wasn't anything miraculous. But Jesus, this is the only example that we see in the Scriptures of Jesus healing a fresh wound. The only one. And and, uh, uh, this is the only example of Jesus healing an amputee. Some people say Jesus never healed an amputee. That's not true. This guy lost his ear. And it says says in Luke's Gospel that Jesus took the ear and put it back on. So Jesus is bending down, picking up the ear, saying, Just chill, Peter. Just calm down. Takes the ear, brushes it up, puts it back on the guy's head. That's exactly what happened. And here, John's Gospel is the only one that mentions the man's name, Malchus, because John's family was friends with the high priest. We'll read that later on. The other Gospels just mention the cutting off of the right... uh, uh, One of the Gospels mentions the cutting off of the slave of the high priest, his right ear. And and, and, uh, it's interesting that he cuts off the right ear of a slave. I mean, he's not going to go after a Roman soldier. I mean, uh, you, you know, so he, choo- he chose the weakest guy in the whole crowd. I mean, <laughs> that's who he went after. The smallest and the weakest guy who's just a slave. You know, slaves are, they just kind of meek people. And, and uh, uh, that's who he goes after. Peter then, then, then Jesus has to tell him to just calm down. We're not going to do this. He says, Put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me. Shall I not drink it? And this is again underscoring that when we go out to witness of the gospel, there is not to be a physical confrontation. We are to submit to these things. In the preaching of the gospel, there is not to be a physical confrontation. And you you see the same sort of thing uh, uh, in, in the other gospels. It says, Jesus said, to Peter, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. That's what Jesus said. You've heard that, that, that saying before. Jesus is the one who said that. Jesus said that in the garden at this time, he said, he who lives by the sword is going to die by the sword. If you want to live fighting people, you will die fighting people. Now what I want to do is I want to read to you, I want to read to you... Uh, um, something about the the rules that were violated in the arrest and trial of Jesus. And then we will see each of these. Now remember, what they're upset with Jesus about is this. What they're upset about is that he did not follow the Mishnaic law. He kept all 613 commandments of Moses, no problem. But he would not submit to the laws made by men. He said to them, the laws of men have made the word of God of no effect. And that drove them crazy, that he didn't wash his hands ceremonially before eating, that he didn't do the things, that he didn't refrain from healing people on the Sabbath. None of that is written in the Scriptures in the Law of Moses for him to do. This is in the Mishnaic Law, and you can actually look at the Mishnaic Law today and see these things. And this is in the, the tractate concerning the Sanhedrin. And there are certain rules that they're supposed to abide by during arrests and during trials and during convictions, and you are going to see how they have violated 21 of their own rules. They are arresting him and condemning him for violating the Mishnaic law, and now the Sanhedrin is going to violate 21 of their own rules. And this is so much like human beings. We have a tendency to be so hypocritical, to hold people to a certain judgment way, and then we ourselves violate that all the time. This is what they were doing. So this is concerning his, his, his trial and his death. Um, so, so this, this is, uh, uh, we'll go through this, these, these 21 rules and regulations that, that they violated. Okay, so um, number one, there was to be no arrest by religious authorities that was affected by a bribe. This was uh, pulled out of Exodus, Exodus 23.8. And we know this was affected by a bribe to, to uh, Judas. Number two, there would be no steps or criminal proceedings after sunset. Now, all of these are good rules. It's just that they are man-made rules. Now, these are not bad rules, and you'll see each one of them is good, but they're going to violate them. So, number two, there would be no steps or criminal proceedings after sunset. This was to avoid any possible conspiracy. Uh, so, once the sun set, you were not supposed to have any, any uh, uh, trials or criminal proceedings. And officially... In the the Jewish reckoning, once you could see three stars, the sun had set. That was their reckoning. And remember, these men came with torches, so it was obviously quite late at that time. Uh, uh, Third, judges or Sanhedrin members were not allowed to participate in the arrest. So now, this, this group of guards had been sent by the Sanhedrin and the slave of the high priest was there who was a representative of a high priest. Again, another violation. Four, there were to be no trials before the morning sacrifice. So you couldn't have a trial at night. Jesus is about to be tried at night. This wasn't Roman law. This is Jewish law that they're violating themselves. There was no no trials uh, um, before the morning sacrifice. So all your morning rituals had to first take place before you could have a trial. So it couldn't be at night and you couldn't do it in the morning until after you had gone through the, the morning rituals. Five, there were to be no secret trials, only public to avoid the sense of conspiracy. This was a secret trial. There were no masses there. Six, the Sanhedrin trials could only be conducted in the Hall of Judgment of the temple compound because people would have to know where to go. And, and uh, this was not conducted in that temple, uh, in, in, that, in that room. Number seven, the procedure was to be first the defense and then the accusation. This is opposite of our Western way where somebody is accused and then he or she defends themselves. In their reckoning, it was the procedure was first, the person would give a defense as to why they never could have committed any of this, and then the accusation would come. The entire thing was reversed. Uh, number eight, all may argue in favor of acquittal, all may not argue in favor of conviction. It was permissible under Jewish criminal law to stack the deck in the accused's favor, but not against him. So in other words, everyone on the Sanhedrin could, could argue for his acquittal. But if everyone, not everyone was allowed to argue for his conviction. He had to have at least one advocate on the Sanhedrin committee. <clears throat> Number nine, there were to be two or three witnesses and their testimony had to agree in every detail. So it couldn't be a little bit different. And we'll see when those two witnesses that they put up come forward, their details didn't agree. And that's why they couldn't convict them based on those two witnesses. Ten, there were to be no allowances of the accused to testify against himself. Remember, the high priest is going to call judgment on Jesus for his own words. But a person could not... Could not, uh, uh, there could be no accusation based on a person's own testimony, and there were two reasons for that. And this is written in, in the Mishnaic Law, in the Sanhedrin text, that, that uh, for one reason was that a person might be suicidal and they might want to confess to something that they never really did. The second reason being that they might cover up for someone who's really guilty. And so you couldn't take it based on a person's own personal testimony. Number 11, the high priest was forbidden to rend his garments, which was a show of emotion. So if you will, and it will happen today in an Orthodox home. If a a, a Jewish child in an Orthodox home comes to know Jesus, you will find people in that Orthodox home, they will rip their garments, they will turn around their mirrors, they have many things that they will do uh, uh, to show weeping and emotion. The high priest was never to rend his garments during a trial, and the high priest actually in this trial ends up doing that, and we'll see that. Um, number 12, uh, the charges could not originate with the judges. They could only investigate charges that were brought to them. This is to keep the judges neutral, so they couldn't bring the charges. Number 13, accusations of blasphemy can, are only valid if the accused has actually pronounced the name of God using the name Yahweh, Y-H-V-H, these letters that, that are the name of God. If you, if you just said God without saying Yahweh, you could not hold him guilty of blasphemy. Jesus never used Yahweh, but they held him guilty of blasphemy. Number 14, a person could not be condemned on the basis of his own words alone. You had to have two or three witnesses outside of that individual himself. 15, the verdict could not be announced at night. So not, not only was a trial not allowed to be announced, the verdict could, be, could not be announced. So if the trial went late, you had to wait before the verdict could be announced because people want to go home. And I've seen that myself. I was on a jury once and it went all week and we wanted to get out of it and it was Friday night and Still, it it had not ended, and we had to go back in the jury room, and the the judge said we could go home at 6. We said, could we please just get this thing done so we don't have to come back next week? And we rushed through this thing. I mean, we really did. I'm just telling you honestly. You spent all week, and it was over a bunch of nonsense. It really was. It was a man arguing with his wife about assets and and how they were going to do it, and it just consumed an entire week of my time and everyone else there. And so the judgment could not be announced at night. You know, you've got Monday night football on TV. All these things you've got to get home for in the evening. <laughs> 16, in the case of capital punishment, the trial and guilty verdict could not occur at the same time. So in other words, and you had to have at least 24 hours between the end of the trial and the guilty verdict. And this is to allow an, at least one entire day for more testimony to come in. 17, voting for the death penalty had to be done by an individual account starting with the youngest. So they would start with the youngest person on the Sanhedrin and say, what do you think? And then the next youngest. The reason for that is they didn't want the younger ones influenced by the older ones. It's actually a very fair way to do it. Uh, uh, And then then there's there's another rule. This is a very interesting rule. So, So you had 71 people on the Sanhedrin, 70 plus the high priest, 71. You had to have a quorum of at least 23. So at least 23 had to be present. So if everyone agrees to the person's guilt, the person is automatically innocent, automatically innocent, because they felt that no group of 21 to 70, 23 to 71 Jews could ever totally agree on anything without collusion, this is what it says, without collusion, and so if they were all in favor of his guilt, boom, instantly innocent, interesting rule. Um, Nineteen, the sentence could only be pronounced three days after the guilty verdict. So once he's pronounced guilty, now you have to have three days of just cooling off before you're going to pronounce sentence. So remember, we're already four days into this. Jesus is about to be tried and crucified all, on the same, all, all in the same uh, uh, 12-hour period. And so all of these are, were violated. Uh, Number 20, judges were to be humane and kind. And 21, a person condemned to death was not to be scourged or beaten beforehand. And so you see, all of these things are being violated. Uh, So so there's a lot there for us to think about, what Jesus is about to confront. And so now when we go through his trial and his scourging, what we're going to do is we're going to pick out each one of these and see the violations. But what I want you to think about is this. Have you ever been wrongly accused of something? I mean, you know the injustice that you feel when you've been wrongly accused. These, this can be small things. This can be big things. I mean, there are things that happen, and no matter what you say, you know, they're not believing you. And the injustice that you feel, there are things that, that are going to come against you in life. And if it hasn't come against you in life now, it will at some point. And there are things that you're going to be totally innocent on that you are going to be, end up being accused of. And So I want to look at a portion here. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 gives us, gives us a, a, a picture of the ways we are supposed to respond. You see, Jesus' response was this, put away the sword. And in fact, in, in, uh, in, in one of the other Gospels, it's, it's either in Luke or in Mark, Jesus says this, He tells Peter to put away the sword and he says, can I not call, can I not call uh, um, uh, uh, 12 legions of angels? If I I call my father, if if I wanted to get free of this, can I not call upon my father and will he not put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? So you've got 6,000 are in a legion so you've got more than 72,000 angels Jesus could have called. I mean, okay, so you've got four to six hundred Roman soldiers. You've got 72,000 plus angels that could come at Jesus' disposal if He called upon it. He says, could I not appeal to my Father and He send me 12 legion, more than 12 legions of angels? Could I not do that? So Jesus was in total control and could have just... Totally wiped out these people. Remember, Jesus just said, I am. They all fall to the ground. But Jesus allowed Himself to go through this. He allowed Himself to go through this. So I want to read this portion in Romans chapter 12. So, what I like to do is I like to show you what the Scriptures say so that you understand, you look at what the Word of God says and then leave you with something that just drives it home so that when you leave here, there's something that we can act upon. Romans chapter 12, reading from verse 14. This is what we are instructed to do. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Alright, so here he says you are to bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless and do not curse. When I was at, at, at uh, the, uh, teaching at a state university for the first eleven years of my career, there was a colleague of mine that used to talk talk about me to students. And, and this was this all happened because he was really jealous of how great my career was, just taken off, and his career was just just struggling along like many assistant professors. And my my career was just God really blessed it. And in fact, this, this young professor had come to my office when he first started at the university. And he started a year after I did. We were each on our own tenure track, and we were friends. But he walks in my office one day, and he said, I'm going to get tenure before you ever do. And I had started a year before him. And that might be true, even if it's true. It's like walking up to somebody and saying, I'm better looking than you are. <laughs> even if it were true, it's an ugly thing to say. So to walk up to somebody and say, I'll get tenure before you ever do, is an ugly thing to say. Well, anyway, my career just took off and it was obvious. And I got tenure after, after my third year. I got tenure. And usually you have to wait seven years. So they were very good to me. So they granted me tenure even early. And he was just struggling along. And he was talking to these students about me. And I went over one day to his, to his, to his office and just knocked on his door because I just... It really bothered me, the stuff that he was saying about me. And I was going to give it to him. I had never confronted him on this before. And when I knocked on his door, he wasn't there. And God began to remind me uh, a a portion like this. And the same thing is written in Luke chapter 6. And I had been memorizing that chapter with my children. And God spoke to my heart through that chapter. He says, bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And God really convicted me and I said, okay, I'll do it. And I set aside when I go and I always break sometime in the middle of the day around noontime or one o'clock and I usually go to the chapel and pray. And and, uh, I said, okay, during my prayer times, I will pray for this man and for his work every day. And I started praying for his work every single day. And he shortly after that got a big NIH grant and his career just started taking off and he got tenure and he did well and... And he did so well he got an, an an offer from another university and he left. And I was so delighted. I mean he just gone. <laughs> but this is what the scriptures tell us to do. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You will bring down blessings in your life if you learn to bless those who treat you wrongly. If you bless those who treat you wrongly, rather than harboring that you will call down blessings upon your life. Let's continue in this portion and then it will pick up again. Uh, So we'll start at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. This is a little portion that is thrown in there uh, that I want you to take hold of because all of you are are either highly educated or going to be highly educated. And there will be people that are lower than you. So you you see this syndrome occurring very rapidly in the university. Freshmen come in and they're nice and they want to meet people. And then all of a sudden, you're a sophomore and this new class of freshmen is coming in. You're sort of like, oh, freshmen coming in. (laughs) They've not even taken freshman chemistry yet. You know, and and there's, this, there's, there's this air that we can very easily get, like, like, like I'm, I'm 12 months ahead of you. And, and I, re- I remember in graduate school, I would often, uh, I would see the uh, the workers, you know, the people who do the grounds and the, and, and the janitorial staff. I would see them, and, and, and the maintenance guys, and I would see them sometimes sitting uh, at places on campus and eating. And I'd walk over and sit down with them and just start talking to them. And they were like shocked that a student would come and just talk with them. And I just wanted to get to know them. And I remember very specifically some of the conversations. And I remember when I was in graduate school that there was a Vietnamese, he, he looked very Vietnamese, and, and uh, um, uh, it, was, it was not long after the Vietnam War, and there were Vietnamese refugees that were coming. And there were a lot of people who weren't excited about that because we'd just come through this Vietnamese War at Vietnam War. And, uh, and I saw him cleaning the building and I walked up to him and I, and I said, are you from Vietnam? And he had a, a, a wooden stick that was hold, propping the door open and he took the wooden stick. You know, he, I mean, the poor guy thought he was going to have to defend himself. And he said, no, I, I just love Vietnamese people. And we got to talk. And then after that, he was always my friend. And uh, um, so, so if you take a step to reach out and go beyond what's expected of you. It says, it says, uh, uh, uh. it says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Something that my wife, Shireen, does. So we have, we have some ladies that come, will come on different days and, and, and help clean up the house. Like on Monday mornings, we have a lady that comes and cleans up the house after after you know this this barrage of people on Sunday. So that, that helps. Shireen will never let one of these ladies come and work in our home without feeding them. If any maintenance person is working in our home, do it. Shireen will always offer them food and send them home with food. And these people become like family to us. Our gar- gardener, uh, uh, the, the person who, who takes care of the outside, I met him when we were first moving in 16 years ago and he was doing the neighbor's place and, and we got him. This guy has not raised on me the, 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 the gardening fee in 16 years. I pay much less than everyone else. I have raised it up myself. I said, you can't keep charging me this low amount. We've got to raise this up. He will not leave me a bill. He will not. I tell him, you know, I said, you know, especially in the winter, I don't know what days you're here, when, he will not leave me a bill. If I don't, and, and so I have to, every week I mail him a check. I just, because I don't want to not mail him a check. He just, he won't. I said, would you leave me a bill? He says "Come on your family, your family and and uh but he feels this way because when he's working there Shireen will will always have a meal for him, and for his work crew you know she'll 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 hand out some some food for them on paper plates and cups and and they'll sit around their truck and eat or they'll sit in our garage if it's, if it's hot out and eat and and uh you do this and you get real allegiance, and so when these ladies come they just in, in fact, these ladies will come and say, we like it more here than in our own home. I mean, they just like to take, be in our home. If you associate with the lowly, if you make a, a case to associate with the lowly, you will be blessed in life over and over again. Uh, so w- one day our, our, our ceiling, there was a leaking, leaking occurring. And I just called up the gardener knowing, knowing that he could, do, he could do house repairs as well. I mean, he comes running over to help us. And so, so this, this is the way it is. So he says, verse 17, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. He says, never pay back evil for evil. This, this feeling is, well, they did it to me. I'll just give it right back to them. That is totally non-Christian. That is totally against the instruction of God. If he, if he shows me peace, I'll show him peace. If not, if he wants war, I'll give him war. Totally non-Christian attitude that is of the devil. God says, you never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Remember what it says, God will repay. You cannot afflict a believer, a child of God, and not get something back to harm you that God is going to do. It's just going to happen. When people come against me, I'm like, I feel sorry for you. You have no idea who you are messing with because of who my father is. I mean, you just have no idea. And I try to make peace with this person because I know they're going to get clobbered. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those who do you wrong, you do them a good act. You bless those who curse you. Those who do you wrong, you do something good for them. If they like Starbucks coffee, buy them a Starbucks coffee. Find out what kind of that and bring it to them. This is what I've told many people. Your boss, you don't like, they don't like you, you don't like them, buy them Starbucks coffee. Find out what they like. I, I told one young lady, I said, what do you guys, well, they, you know, they're always talking about hunting and stuff. I said, okay, you go and you buy some really high-end hunting magazines and you leave it on their desk as a gift from you. She said, the guys came up to me like, wow, this is great. You overcome evil with good. When you do a good act, what happens is you end up loving them more and they end up loving you. It works both ways. It brings love. I have seen in my life, and you watch in your life, people who pound the table, people who demand this and demand that, they are never happy as they get older. I I, I saw a a, a professor in my graduate school and and, uh, he was a young guy, but a big man and dominated and he wanted this whole side and he had other professors moved out of their space and screaming and crying for this and that and, and uh, they built them all new labs. That man is miserable. When you start demanding and pounding your fist and demanding all these things. I had another professor who was, who was always taking and taking and taking and taking things from other, other faculty members and using his position to take. I mean, this, that man is in his late 70s now and he's an unhappy man. I mean, just unhappy. You will not be happy if the, if it's always in this mode that I have to react back and dominate this thing. You walk as Jesus has instructed you to walk. You walk as the Scriptures instruct you to walk. That you be kind to those who are under you. That you don't strike back with vengeance on your own. That you leave vengeance up to God. That you don't strike back. And, and the, the Scripture even says, He says, you want to go into lawsuits. I mean, why are you going into a lawsuit? It's just I'd rather forgive. I mean, I was in a company once that was getting into a lawsuit. It was a mess, and I didn't want to do it, but the board- I was only one person on the board, and it was a mess, and it ended up costing so much more. Any good lawyer will tell you getting into a lawsuit is like is like uh, trying to put toothpaste back into a tube. It is very hard. you may get a little bit, but there's a lot you're you're never going to get in there and the people who make money during lawsuits are lawyers. Uh, uh, so this, this thing, about well, I'll, I'll sue them. Well, I don't want to sue them. i just just rather forgive and let it go. I'll, I'll take the loss. Just let it go. Let it go. You will have a much happier life. Jesus could have gotten out of this arrest in an instant. But he said, here I am. Here I am. You take on life like that and you will be much, much happier. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. And I pray, Lord, for these young people here. And I pray that You would drop in their hearts an attitude. That they would would bless those who curse them. They would pray for those who mistreat them. That they would overcome evil by doing good acts. Father, I pray that they would take Your Word and obey it. And understand the peace that comes as a result. Father, let them walk according to Your way. Let them walk according to Your way, I pray. And Lord, for those here who don't know You, Lord, I pray that You draw them this day into a relationship with Jesus Christ so that they would have the power to walk according to what Your Word says. Father, the grace of God be poured out on their lives, I pray. And draw the unbelievers... Lord, I pray that this day they would say, Lord Jesus, forgive me and come into my life. For Jesus is Lord and He's risen from the dead. Father, draw them to Your Son this day. For the glory of God. Amen.